0: All right. Well, let's let's get going. Um, welcome around to the Flashpoint Podcast. My name is Owen I. Higgins. I am your host, as always. Uh, today, uh, we're going to be doing kind of uh, a bit of a panel discussion here on the uh, horrific massacre in Buffalo, New York, uh, from over the weekend, where a white supremacist uh, walked into a Tops Market in a majority black neighborhood of the city and opened fire, uh, shooting thirteen and killing ten of them. Um, he left behind a one hundred and eighty page manifesto. Uh, in that manifesto, which was you no know, largely kind of cribbed from other white supremacist manifestos, like I mean, parts of it were like outright plagiarized. Um, But in it, he talks about his uh, affinity for certain right-wing talking points, certain right-wing beliefs, including the Great Replacement conspiracy theory, uh, which has its roots, I think, kind of in the white supremacist underground, uh, the neo-Nazi underground, but uh, a version of it has been promoted recently, kind of like a bit of a watered-down version of it that the, the wording is a little bit different, uh, by Fox News host Tucker Carlson, um, one, of, one of the most uh, popular, if not the most popular cable news hosts in the country. Uh, Carlson has been uh, spreading this racist conspiracy theory for well over a year at this point. Uh, so a lot of people pointed out the similarity between what what the shooter was saying, and what Carlson was saying, and then of course, uh, there was the predictable backlash from Carlson's allies, like sycophant uh, Glenn Greenwald, who we'll talk about in a little bit, um, as well as other right wing figures, um, probably most of whom are just kind of vying to get onto the show um but I thought that we could start we could start talking about Tucker, and also like we should also be talking about the GOP as well because this Great replacement conspiracy theory has made its way into the party and into the kind of the more mainstream American right wing, and of course there are many of them who are also trying to pretend that uh, there's some sort of difference and there's some sort of daylight between their beliefs and and these far right beliefs. Uh, Liz Cheney is a good example of this kind of pretending that um, that her entire career hasn't been about the same exact uh, politics as. As the, this great replacement, uh, racism, this xenophobia uh, that's starting to explode more and more into violence. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I thought that we could start with Nikki because uh, Nikki McCann Ramirez is a researcher at Media Matters for America and um, does a lot of work on Carlson, uh, watches a lot of Carlson, and uh, is pretty much what I would consider uh, an expert on him. Um, so, Nikki, uh, Do you want to talk a little bit about kind of the intersection between the Buffalo Shooters Manifesto and what Tucker Carlson talks about every night, and maybe kind of specifically go into that uh, Great Replacement
1: stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Great to be on again. So I think just to give a little background for people who aren't too familiar about the history of the Great Replacement and where it comes from, it is a white supremacist, white nationalist theory that has existed for decades, but really came into an accelerated period of attention and prominence over the last decade, particularly in the last kind of four to five years. In 2012, a French writer, Renard Camus, wrote a book called Le Grand Replacement. I can't pronounce French, so I'm not gonna try. And what people should understand is that it's a subset of an older existing theory called white genocide. And it proposes that a variety of factors such as an influx of non-white immigration, the push for multiculturalism and globalism, as well as falling birth rates among white Europeans, will result in white populations losing their position as the dominant graphic, as a dominant demographic, or being outright eliminated. And according to this theory, this change is being orchestrated by a cabal of elites. Importantly, those elites are often characterized as are often characterized as powerful Jewish people. It is at its core an anti-Semitic theory. And what it does is that it creates a dangerous dynamic in which believers view immigrants and non-white citizens as an existential threat to their communities. And of course, this isn't an academic endeavor. It's not something that white nationalists and neo-Nazis like to discuss th- theoretically. It actively seeks to mobilize believers into acting against their supposed replacement. So how did this theory come into prominence in the GOP and in conservative media? I think. A lot of people will remember inadvertently coming into contact with the theory in 2017 during the Unite the Right neo-Nazi rally in Charlottesville, where the neo-Nazis chanted infamously, you will not replace us, Jews will not replace us. Those chants were a direct reference to this theory. And that was kind of one of the biggest modern red flags we had that this theory was circulating in the more extremist right, that there was renewed attention on it. Where it took go a- so in 2020, I wrote an article for Business Insider shortly after Carlson had gone on TV and pretty directly argued that Democrats were importing immigrants in order to change electoral de- demographics and secure a kind of eternal democratic, democratic control of politics in the United States. And I think this framing is what's very important for people to keep in mind when discussing kind of the current right wing reaction to the Buffalo shooting. Carlson's comments throughout the past years have come alongside a series of mass shootings of mass murders related to this theory, most notably in Christchurch, New Zealand, and in El Paso in Texas. And now that Carlson, Fox News, prominent right-wing politicians have kind of adopted this immigrant-centered version of replacement theory. When this event in Buffalo happened, we saw a lot of the right-wing kind of jump on this idea that we're not actually talking about race, we're just talking about immigration. And they kind of want to decouple the commentary they've ma- been making about immigration with the commentary they've been making about race and the reality is that Carlson, Fox host, Elise Stefanik, everyone who's been pushing this theory has been doing so while using extremely racialized language, while pushing a lot of these core tenets about you know the fear-mongering about birth rates. I feel like a month ago We were all making fun of Tucker Carlson for his End of Men special that he's producing where he is talking about falling rates of testosterone in men. And you can see where right-wingers now faced with this kind of very direct, this man wrote a manifesto where he explicitly cited this theory. And of course, we sort of always give the caveat that self-published screeds like this should be viewed with a lot of skepticism and with a lot of, with a very critical eye. But the reality is that this shooting has happened. That was the justification the shooter gave. And Fox News in particular is very aware that this is a conspiracy that they have been actively telling their viewers is true. And now they're in a bit of a panic where they want to decouple their fear mongering about immigration with their fear mongering about race and kind of bury the racial conversation that they've been at the forefront of.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because, um, I'm just to stay with Nikki here for a second, but uh, because while they are, while, while they're doing that, um, they're still talking, I mean, they're still using the same language, they're still using the same attacks, uh, they're still, uh, uh, you know, pushing forward the same message. And here I'm talking not only about Fox, but also, you know, the GOP, um, Elise Stefanik. Uh, I think yesterday uh put out this statement about how uh you know she really regrets the loss of life and mourns the victims and then like turned it over to her senior advisor for just this like totally uh hyper xenophobic rant that you know went went after all the same targets of course that the buffalo shooter went after um in in his manifesto, so um it does seem like they're still trying to have it both ways, and I'm curious as to uh like i i see what you're saying like they want to decouple it but um how, how much do they really want to do that and and how much is this just uh maybe they're just kind of you know covering their ass while while they're uh you know their their advertisers are a little bit spooked or something like that and they're just doing that for you know maybe for like a week or two and then they'll be right back to it but even even this is like they're not even really taking much of a break they're just going right back into it. Um, and, and, you know, with the party kind of the same thing, like they're like, they're kind of backing away from it a little bit, but not really. Like they're still going kind of all in. Um, it, what do you think about that? I mean, do you, is, is that different than what they've done before? I know that before, like, you know, they, they've kind of had these uh, impromptu vacations for Carlson and for Hannity and for, you know, whoever is saying whatever lunatic thing they're saying that is getting people angry. Um, but it this time, it seems like they're not even they're not even bothering with that. They're just going straight for uh, like, oh yeah, that's that's too bad. We regret that now let's just go right back to what we were talking about.
1: Well, I think it's important here to note that Fox isn't necessarily addressing their like past coverage of the great replacement. We actually did a study yesterday at Media Matters that found that in the forty eight hours following the shooting, And all of the breaking news about the written document the shooter put out and the motivations, Fox News only referenced the Great Replacement Theory three times. And also, again, notably last night, Tucker Carlson didn't mention it at all. So in my view, it's very clear that Fox has given kind of its anchors the marching orders of we're not really going to address this. And that goes back to what you said. I don't think they fully want to abandon This fear mongering that they've been doing about immigration, I think fear mongering about immigrants who are coming to take your jobs and your land and making it difficult for you to acquire housing. That kind of fear mongering has been ubiquitous in right wing politics for decades. And this great replacement narrative that they've lens that they've applied to it is the most recent iteration of a long standing pattern about fear of immigrants, fear of multiculturalism. So when this kind of accelerated invocation of great replacement started happening in the Republican party, it was very centered around immigration. And as we saw in the AP poll that was put out last week, one in three Americans now believe that immigration is being intentionally used to change the electoral demographics of the country. So for Republicans they view this as a very winning issue. They view this as a very effective talking point because ultimately it is. It uses unfounded conspiracy theories to capitalize on the very real fears people have right now. We're in an economy that's, you know, from what I understand, very set to crash any day now. The cost of living is insane. And of course, the Republican Party wants to redirect both parties, really, want to redirect that anxiety, that kind of fear, that responsibility for the current material conditions of Americans onto issues that aren't themselves. And the Republican party has found a very effective outlet in this great replacement conspiracy mongering. I think what they don't care about because I think they fully understand it is that when you present a stripped down version of this theory and try to say, oh, we're just talking about immigration, In reality, you are just exposing a mass of people to a theory that is inherently violent, inherently racist. So, and these people don't live in a vacuum. So when they go out onto other parts of the internet, into their daily day-to-day lives, and they encounter other media spaces, other pieces of information that are kind of more radical addendums to this theory that they already believe, well, it does become easier for people to fold extremist ideas into those beliefs that they've already been sold as true.
0: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and and actually, so so that's a good way to kind of um, introduce uh, Sana Saeed, who uh, works with AJ Plus and does a lot of great uh, media criticism. Um, and you know, Sana has has done a lot of really really good work on this kind of uh, th- like the way that. Uh, you know Western media especially uh you know conservative media e- e- even more uh specifically um, uses these kind of targeting uh, these ways of targeting uh marginalized people in order to kind of like obfuscate what 's really going on and and to kind of perpetuate uh their political agendas and yeah soana i'm i 'm curious like what what um what your perspective is on this and how you kind of see uh both like the manifesto and, and the Buffalo shooting itself uh, and, and, and Tucker Carlson uh, kind of in this broader uh, media media ecosystem where, um, you know, like, uh, like Charlie Kirk, you know, uh, tweeting in, in, in late April, um, you know, there's an undeniable war on white people in the West. I mean, like this rhetoric has been uh, accelerating for, for quite some time. And, uh, and, and I know you've been on top of it. So I'm, I'm curious as to what you think about this and, and kind of where where you see this kind of slotting in with, with, with the rest of what's going on.
2: Um, first of all, thanks for having me back. Um, always a pleasure being uh, on here and having these conversations, which I do genuinely enjoy. Um, so funnily enough, or I guess tragically enough, um, I actually have an episode for my series Backspace dropping. It was supposed to drop this week, but a few things pushed it back and it's going to be dropping next week where we're actually looking at the Uh, kind of the question of quote unquote, uh, like eco-fascism and looking specifically at the myths of overpopulation. And, um, you know, it was, I would say out of all the kind of pieces I've ever worked on in my life, not just like at my job, but just in my life, um, it was like definitely top five, most depressing and angering, uh, most rage inducing, um, research topics I've ever had to delve into and really, really went really deep into it. And I think like if there's anything that I can really add to this conversation right now and that I would want to add, it's that I want to highlight um, that, of course, like right now as it exists, this is something that we're seeing very uh, expressly, very explicitly um, in uh, among the right. Right. Uh, Not just the far right, but among the right as well. Um, whether it's on issues of immigration policy or it's just, you know, when we see Tucker Carlson night after night, I mean, also like, let's not forget Tucker Carlson in 2021 had the highest rated or the most watched, um, you know, cable, cable news uh, show as well. Like this isn't some like, you know, maybe even a random YouTuber who's doing this, this is someone who does have quite a bit of, um, uh, you know, palpable social power that we can't just simply ignore. So This is right now, obviously, an issue in this country that's very expressly on the right. But I do want to highlight that this isn't something that's uniquely right wing. Right. Um, I think, uh, you know, Nikki gave a great kind of history of even the replacement theory. But when we delve really into that history, it's far more insidious and it goes back to um, some of the foundational uh, you know, uh, not even, I'm not even going back to 1776 or even before them, but even if we go back to the early 1900s, um, if we go back to even the progressive era, when we think about like famous eugenicists, such as, you know, Madison Grant, who wrote the book, The Passing of the Great Race, which is about the quote unquote erasure of the white European, uh, uh, you know, civilization, which is filled with, of course, a lot of bunk science. And that was used by Hitler, um, to for, uh, who called it his own Bible and, or, and, and, inf- and, and it informed, um, um, among other books written by American eugenicists, you know, Nazi race science. And so much of that ideology is also, has also informed everything from why we even have like conservationist societies in this country to even modern reproductive health programs that we use in quote unquote developing world, right? Um, I really recommend the book Fatal Misconception by Professor Matthew Connolly of Columbia, um, and And at the core of all of this, right is this idea that other populations non white populations, impoverished populations, whether they 're within these borders or outside of these borders that they 're burdensome and there's some and, 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 and it 's something um, that, that that idea of these populations being burdensome is something we find uh, being used by both the right and liberals as well and what we 've seen in recent years, and Naomi Klein has even talked about this um, at length is that we 've seen the adoption of even Liberal discussions on the climate crisis being adopted by fascists, right? Um, The El Paso shooter and the Christchurch shooter both talked about replacement and they talked about limited resources. The Christchurch shooter explicitly called himself an eco fascist. And in their manifesto, they're identifying the fact that we have population problems, that we need less people and, and less desirable people. And of course, who are the less desirable people? It's going to be people who are immigrants, people who are black, people who are Jewish, Muslim, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I think we need to be able to look at even something like the great replacement theory in the greater context of, of, of American eugenics. And I know it sounds like, OK, we're going a little far back there. Let's focus on right now. Um, the thing is, is that once you, once you start looking at that history, it's hard not to see how it pops up everywhere and not just in the, in the corners of the right. Right. Is that it's, it's, it's normalized in so many other parts of, I think, American society that we don't stop to think about the reason why we have national parks. Right. What, what, were, what were some of the politics and beliefs of someone like John Muir? What did he believe and why do we even have a national park system? Why do we have zoos? Why do we have the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which is the largest supporter of reproductive health programs in Africa, Asia and South America? Right. And of course, defining reproductive health purely in terms of uh, access to birth control, as opposed to access to things like, um, you know, uh, 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 lowering mortality rates, so on and so forth. And so I think like that to me is what I've been thinking about a lot, is that whenever we have these instances of explicitly um, white supremacist violence, Um, And I say explicitly because, you know, not all instances, of course, white supremacist violence is going to be explicitly so. But I think uh, and this is also why I do believe controversially, perhaps, that it is important to read these manifestos as as mind numbing as they can be, just because it shows us a pattern of it shows a pattern of borderless belief. Ironically enough, whether it's you know an Australian you know mass murderer in New Zealand, or it's the El Paso shooter, or it's someone like Anders Breivik in Norway, um, and of course once you also start reading these manifestos, or at least understanding you know what they're saying it becomes very clear how much of this is rooted in a very long history. That didn't just start in 2016. It didn't just start in 2014. It didn't just start in in, in 2001. It's something that's been going on for almost a century. And how um, what we end up focusing on quite often is the most extreme and the most explicit form of it in this country, when in actuality we see that it is being practiced in, Uh, you know, really horrific ways in the rest of the world. And there's a history of it, right? Like, you know, I'll I'll link to my episode next week. But like, you know, we talk even about the the sterilization programs in India, right? And how American organizations created the, the structures in the 1960s and 70s for forced sterilization in India, because they said India's got a population problem. And again, it goes back to the idea that they're having too many children. That's a, that's a burden on resources. A burden on resources means it's less for us and our people are thus going to have less access to resources. These things are all connected. And I think that's the main thing that I would want to kind of bring about to, for us to all remember is that, you know, we're seeing an extreme expression of it always, um, but that it's normalized in many different facets of like pop culture, media culture, and even our politics and policies.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that the... The eco fascism at the end of the manifesto and and i uh and perhaps controversially as well uh agree that um uh not reading these manifestos uh i mean like i don't think anybody like needs to read them uh but if you want to um I think that it can be quite helpful to kind of see how these ideas are being spread um and you know yeah like you're saying like much like um the new zealand shooter um there is uh this kind of eco-fascist argument where the great replacement idea is kind of framed in this you know like there's only so much space there's only so much room
2: yeah i i just um, i just,
0: and then I, it, yeah, I just want ahead.
2: to really also quickly mention what i forgot to is so my entire point with all of that is also that um ultimately the reason why someone like tucker carlson and it's not just him right it's also other and it's not just fox news but focusing on Fox News, which is an extremely popular cable news network, and is that the reason is that it does resonate with a lot of people is because we have over a century of this narrative being built, right? Is that so much of the immigration policy also in this country, which is not just upheld only by the right, but also by the Democrats, right? Like when we look at right now with the Biden administration, how much of the quote unquote you know Trump era um, immigration policy um, and the reprehensible policy uh, uh, policies that were enacted by the Trump administration under the guise of Stephen Miller, Victorian, you know, Gravechild, um, how much of that was, was, you know, has, has been upheld by the current administration. So it's, so even party wise. Right. Um, but I think the reason why it has this resonance with, together to create this really violent um uh well the kind of violence that we end up seeing uh play out
0: yeah 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 go ahead jonathan oh uh you're good to go if you want all right well i, I know that um I, I know nikki only has a couple minutes um so uh, Nikki, I just I just wanted to have you just uh you know maybe jump back on and uh just uh maybe maybe chat a little bit just just before you jump off about um this kind of counter reaction that we have seen to uh people talking about these connections to uh to different aspects of of the right wing movement, uh, the current right wing movement, and, and I'm not I'm not downplaying what, what you were saying, Sana, but I just I, I just this is just like a specific more narrow topic, um, and uh, and and how that kind of, like like why there has been this kind of reaction of like you know like let's not talk about this right now let's kind of keep it quiet um uh, you know obviously um, uh, Mr. Greenwald is one of those people, but uh but there, th- this has been something that we've heard from a lot of people in conservative media and in conservative politics. Um, what, what do you think about that? I mean, as, as, somebody who, who is a media analyst and who does this um, for work um, and, and, you know, you, you research and study this stuff all the time. What, what do you think about this reaction um, and, and how, how honest do you think it is um, and, and how much is it just trying to like deflect?
1: In my opinion, it's the most disingenuous crap you, you could encounter um it's really something that a lot of the right is now demanding that you know the left or the media not politicize what is an explicitly political act of violence and I think going back to what Sana was saying like we tend to focus on these kind of most extreme iterations of these theories of these acts of violence we tend to shine the spotlight on the people who take it the farthest but the reality is that these acts of violence these mass murders they don't exist in a vacuum they are kind of built up and sort of incubated in these existing systems that don't like not all the time necessarily like react positively to these forms of violence but tolerate it but kind of let it just move through systems unchecked and I think when you have a shooting like this, where the motivation is that explicit, and the connections to those systems that have been building it up and fomenting it and trying to kind of couch in this particular instance, the Great Replacement Theory, as a legitimate theory, when they're confronted with that kind of direct of a one-to-one, their only option really is to attempt to deflect or attempt to paint the people who are trying to not necessarily point the finger, but like call out where this rhetoric is coming from and how this rhetoric is being normalized and pointing to the reality that this kind of rhetoric and this fear mongering about immigrants and people of color is dangerous and does result in violence against the groups it targets. There to say that that should not be politicized or that the, there should that we should wait to have the discussion until people aren't paying attention, it's completely disingenuous. And I think. I mean, the piece that Greenwald published was a just babble. And you, when you, I think last night he was on Tucker and they were discussing how there was nothing more heinous than politicizing these types of events, than exploiting them for political gain. But there is something that is more heinous than exploiting those events. And it's committing that violence and it's upholding that violence. And it's telling your viewers, that the theory that motivates that violence is true either in whole or in part, and I think the thing is that we we don't need to give these people cover. They know exactly what they're doing. They know exactly what they've been saying the past couple of years, and I think right now they are confronted with the horrific consequences uh the like the horrific endpoint of these theories and they want no part of it they don't want to attach themselves because also they don't really have to. I, I think Tucker Carlson and people like him understand that there's not really that many systems of accountability for them outside of public outcry. So they know that if they can just ride out this wave, they'll probably be okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think so I mean um uh, the The actual direct quote uh, from Greenwald last night uh, was was that um uh, basically saying that discussing the shooter's ideology was a quote morally atrocious act close quote um he 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 didn 't say anything like that about the actual shooting from from uh, as, at least as far as I can tell and and i don 't think that he or Carlson uh discussed anything having to do uh with the ideology um Kind of staying on that a little bit, you know, this um, largely incoherent, uh, rambling, um, hard to follow article that Greenwald wrote, like things like five or six thousand words, um, which was just basically all about um, making sure that uh, that Tucker doesn't get criticized. Um, does mention uh, Jonathan Katz, uh, who is our third panel member. Um, And and I do want to kind of read from it because I do think this was actually kind of amusing. Um, So he quotes Jonathan saying, still working on your talking points to defend your buddy Tucker, or are you holding off on trying out your deflections until the bodies get cold? So obviously, yes, that's what he was doing. Um, and, 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 you know, and then he expresses outrage that this was just four hours after the shooter fired his first shot, blah, blah, blah. But then the most amusing part, I think, of the essay comes next where he says, as it happens, I was on an overnight international flight on Saturday and into Sunday morning. I deeply apologize for my failure to monitor and speak on Twitter 24 hours a day. So I, I just want to call total bullshit on the idea that Glenn Greenwald did not buy in-flight Internet. I, I'm sorry. That is simply not believable to me at all. Um, but anyway, um, I, I, I'd like I'd like Jonathan to uh, reply here because he does kind of go off on Jonathan a number of times saying that um, – that Jonathan was particularly adamant that I opine not just on the killings, but on the list of pundits I thought should be declared guilty before in his soulless words, quote, the bodies get cold, close quote, meaning that I must speak without bothering to take the time to try to understand the basic facts about the killer and the shootings before heaping blame on a wide range of people who had no apparent involvement, something that we all know that Glenn would never do. Um, so, Jonathan, what, what, what was it like uh, being uh, the star of a slight part of this uh, essay? Yeah, sorry, I
3: got a I got a phone call. Can, can you repeat the last thing you just said? Just the last couple words.
0: Oh yeah, no, I was just I was just asking, like, you know, what, what was it like um, being a part of this uh, kind of rambling uh, essay here? Um, because because you are you are kind of featured in it a little bit. I
3: am. I'm the pundit Jonathan Katz. I I, uh, uh, I would have appreciated it more if he had um, uh, embedded my tweet. Uh, and so you know maybe i could have you know gotten gotten some some uh, extra followers off of it i don't i don't i don't i didn't, I, mean, I thought it was mostly funny um that 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 he that he included me uh he it apparently got under his skin um which uh uh is is interesting and notable um i mean i think that you know and and, and this is kind of building off of what what Sana and and nikki were talking about um you know I'm I'm playing with a framework to understand, to, to try to understand, um, you know, what what specifically is happening here, and what what the specific uh, mechanisms are at play. Because, you know, this is, um, as Sana said, a very old thing. I mean, it goes back to you know Teddy Roosevelt, and 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 I mean even back before. Um, but but you know the 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 Madison Grant uh, uh, moment of, of progressivism. Um, and and uh, what, what Teddy Roosevelt used to call um, race suicide, um, but there is something. But but things have changed, and and there are and there are kind of competing forces at play. And and the way that a framework that I'm working on, um, and I, I might write about in in, in my newsletter um, this week, um, is sort of it's, it's kind of an interplay between uh, like grinding long term structural violence. And revisionist violence, you know, immediate moments, right? So, so it's, it's the difference between, um, you know, the U.S. immigration system and the U.S. carceral state writ large, um, you know, preying on uh, people of color and and non-white immigrants, and you know, a guy walking into a, a, a grocery store in Buffalo and and murdering. You know, uh, uh, nearly a dozen people. A guy running into a Walmart in El Paso. Also, should be noted that the the, uh, the guy who who ran into the Tree of Life Synagogue in, in Pittsburgh was also operating according to this same theory. Um, and I think this my 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 stab at, at what's going on and what what's going on uh, in, in in Glenn Greenwald's head and, and definitely in in Tucker Carlson's head um, is that there are moments. And there, there, were moments throughout the twentieth century, um, and 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 there are moments at, at a smaller scale, like like uh, like like the one that happened in, in Buffalo a couple of days ago, that um, really threaten. Th- th- there, 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 are instances of revisionist violence that threaten to undo the entire uh, intellectual project, if you can call it that. That uh, that that people from, you know, the hard neo-Nazi right to uh people like tucker carlson are are dealing with right um i think i part of part of of what i'm i'm, I'm getting at here is that i think that the you know i i also read the, the the manifesto or at least skim skim through it um and you know one of the things that's interesting is that it sounds exactly like things that tucker carlson is saying but as far as i can tell it seems that the shooter himself. Um, he did not, re- he, he was not a big Tucker Carlson viewer. He was not somebody who, who read sort of these foundational, um, texts of, of, uh, of the great replacement theory, um, in, in the United States, you're talking about the Turner diaries, uh, which, uh, famously helped inspire also another act of revisionist violence, the, 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 the Oklahoma city bombing, um, in 1995. Um, and also, uh, you know, camp of the saints, the, the French book that, that then inspired, um, uh 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 Randall Camus who 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 coined the phrase uh, the great replacement in, in his book in, in twenty twelve. Um th- the thing is that he seems to be he he's drawing from the same sources that Tucker Carlson and ultimately really Glenn Greenwald as well, and and he has a long history of, of anti-immigrant sentiment that he's written about, um, are are drawing from. And I think that par I, I, my my stab at a hypothesis of what's going on here, um, is that while there are these long tendrils, this long array of, of of theories about you know non-white and and the meaning of white has also shifted over this time, but no, the non-white horde coming and displacing, stealing from, taking the land from from the 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 rightful white settler-dominated uh, population of the country. There are moments. the Holocaust was a huge one. This moment, you know the, 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 the wave of, of, uh, of, of you know, white supremacist massacres in grocery stores and Walmarts and synagogues is another that threatened to sort of you know shock the general population who might be willing to sort of accept the grinding structural violence um, out of their complacency. And, and turn on the people who are, are really on on the leading edge of, of these theories. And I think what's happening here is that the reason why Tucker Carlson um, uh, is is you know whining about people politicizing this moment, the reason why Glenn Greenwald wrote this unreadable. Uh, uh, you know, essay in which he just like you know devotes it all to like what ism about you know these, these you know totally unrelated uh you know a, a event the, the 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 shooting at the uh, congressional softball game in in 2017 is because they know that this is the kind of moment that could you know shock the general population into being like well hold on I, like. I know I signed up for this low level racism uh, that I don't think of as being racism, but now it's being used. Now it's showing up in in the manifesto of a guy who's doing this thing that I interpret directly as violence that, you know, massacring people in a grocery store. Maybe I should rethink this. And Greenwald and and Tucker are saying like, no, look away. Don't, don't, don't look, don't look at it. Don't look at us. Uh, because uh, uh, because they're just trying to distract you, and then using that as an opportunity to, to, to restate their their thesis. I was rambling a little bit, but that's no no that's no no, no.
0: I think I think I mean yeah, like like I think that's clear. I, I you know there there are there are a couple of different strategies I think that are uh, on display here, um, and I think yeah, I mean one of them is is kind of uh, you know Greenwald does this a lot, um, but he's 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 certainly not alone. Um, the uh, there's there's this way of kind of like throwing everything against the wall to kind of like uh, confuse the issue and to kind of make it so that you're then you're just kind of arguing semantics. I'm actually going to have because Nikki is going to jump off in one sec. I'm going to have her jump on and then and then uh would would like to get Sana's reaction as well. So Nikki, go ahead.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I have to hop off for a work event, but I just wanted to elaborate a little bit on what Jonathan said regarding this specific shooter's relationship or non-relationship to Carlson. Um, As Jonathan said, this shooter did not cite Tucker Carlson as an inspiration in his manifesto or as like a direct source of radicalization. But what I think is important to point out here is that this man was radicalized on online forums and extremism researchers know that these extremist white nationalist online forums view Carlson as an ally in spreading their messaging to the public. So it's not unlikely that this man would have encountered Carlson, his words, support for Carlson online, even if it wasn't like the direct catalyst for his radicalization, but that the criticism that these uh, like forums and these message boards often level at Carlson is that he should just say what he really thinks that he's hinting at it. And he's kind of presenting it in a ready for cable Kind of structure that is accessible to the um, average viewer, but that they would love him more if he would just say what he thinks. And it's really important here to also mention that, like I said in the beginning, this theory wants people to act against their supposed replacement. And Carlson has regularly made appeals to his viewers to not sit back and take this, to not sit back and take these waves of immigration, the decay of the society around them, these attacks on Western civilization. So it's also important to point out here that while this man did not necessarily cite Tucker as a direct source of his radicalization, these places, these online spaces where he was radicalized are regularly interacting with Carlson's content and in a way pushing for Carlson to become more radical, to adopt more of their messaging. And I think, again, we can't decouple the two because none of these things exist in a vacuum. And with that, I have to hop off. But thank you so much for having me. This has been a lovely conversation. It was lovely to speak to you all again.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Nikki. Um, so I I actually kind of jumping off of that just um, just before we go to signing here, um, I'm going I'm to read two quotes. Now, one of these quotes, so this is Tucker Carlson, um, and this is him on his show. Uh, How precisely is diversity our strength? Since you've made this our new national motto, please be specific as you explain it. Can you think, for example, of other institutions such as, I don't know, marriage military units in which the less people have in common, the more cohesive they are? Do you get along better with your neighbors or your coworkers if you can't understand each other or share no common values? All right. Now, here's the um, here's the shooter's manifesto. Why is diversity said to be our greatest strength? Does anyone even ask why? It is spoken like a mantra and repeated ad infinitum. uh, diversity Diversity is our greatest strength. Diversity is our greatest strength. Diversity is our greatest strength. Said throughout the media, spoken by politicians, educators, and celebrities, but no one ever seems to give a reason why. What well, gives a nation strength? And how does diversity increase that strength? What well, part of diversity causes this increase in strength? No one can give an answer. And so the reason that I'm kind of uh, bringing those two up and kind of putting them next to each other uh, is to just say that in, in the if, if you just take what the manifesto says uh, at, at face value and you don't think that there is any kind of direct Influence between, you know, from Carlson to, uh, to the Buffalo shooter. Uh, that I mean, that's fine. I like. I don't agree. I think that this makes a pretty strong case for it. But even if there is no like direct one-to-one influence, um, they are they are talking about the same ideas. These are the same exact ideas. And so, talking about that and examining that and examining what that means uh, should not be something that is you know, like this off base or, 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 not allowed. Oh, uh, and I just
3: want I just to Owen, just throw in one other quote here.
0: Okay. Um,
3: this is from 2005 current illegal immigration, whereby unmanageably endless hordes of people pour over the border in numbers far too large to assimilate and who consequently have no need motivation or ability to assimilate renders impossible the preservation of any national identity. That is so for reasons having nothing whatever to do with the skin color, origin of the immigrants, and everything to do with the fact that what we end up with are segregated groups of people with allegiances to their enclaves, an inability to communicate, cultural perspectives incompatible with prevailing American culture, and absolutely nothing to bind them in any way to what we know as the United States. That was written by Glenn Greenwald in in
0: 2005. Yeah, so Sana, yeah, um, I think this is a good kind of set up here. I mean, like this does kind of go into what you, what, what you were talking about earlier, this kind of, you know, this, this, uh, uh, uh consistency of belief, this consistency of, of this ideology. Um, I mean, when you read the manifesto, I mean, did, it sounds like you were kind of tying it back to more than just like the other manifestos, right? Like, like you were seeing like these connections.
2: So for clarification, I, um, decided to pick my mental health <laughs> this weekend and not read the manifesto. I read a little bit of it, but I did not read it in full yet. Um, but I have read the Christchurch manifesto and the El Paso, which by oh, way, was extremely short, the El Paso one. Um, I have read those ones, uh, but not this one, uh, in particular, just cause last week was also just a really heavy week for, for those of us at, at Al Jazeera in particular. Um, but I I did also want to kind of you know there was your earlier question when you were when you were talking about you know uh, G- Greenwald and, and Tucker et cetera like saying we're not even going to talk about this no responsible whatever et cetera right like kind of completely not uh, specifically with Carlson right like not even kind of acknowledging uh, like it's not the time right now to have this conversation whatever et cetera um, I'm going to take Greenwald out of this because I I, I don't you know I don't want to right now kind of what I'm about to say I can't speak to Greenwald's uh you know position or whatever on this but regarding you know Carlson I think there's a, there's a possible there's there's there needs to be an acknowledgment of the possibility of you know even someone like Tucker Carlson and I'm not saying this lightly right and I'm not saying this is the case 100% I'm saying that this is a possibility um but there is that possibility that some, that what happened on Saturday didn't necessarily upset Carlson all that much. Right. And I and I don't say that lightly because I'm thinking a lot about, you know, the way in which the language that that Carlson has used again and again and again and again for almost 20 years on record regarding, um, you know, black and brown people in particular regarding immigrants. I mean, I always think about how he called Iraqis, I think it was in 2005 or 2006, I can't remember exactly, but he called Iraqis semi-literate primitive monkeys, and how a couple years later he called, um, you know, uh, Afghanistan, or, or he called people, of Afghanistan, he called Afghans, uh, that they're uncivilized people and that no matter what the United States does, that country can never be civilized. And how he's credited, right, white, the white man, the white men, or white people, rather, uh, although, of course, we know he probably means white men in particular, for creating civilization, right? It's like this is the kind of rhetoric that has come from Carlson again and again and again and again. And so I don't sit here expecting him to kind of even actively distance himself from this violence because I also hold in my mind the possibility that it is not something, that this type of violence is not something that necessarily... Um, you know, makes him lose any sleep at night. I'll put it that way, a little bit more diplomatically. Um, the other thing to also take into consideration is that, you know, Fox News itself, and, you know, we're focusing on Fox News, so I'm going to stick to that. Um, but, you know, Fox News itself is well aware of, uh, and Tucker Carlson in particular, and Hannity and all those guys there, uh, they know who their audience is, right? They, And I don't mean they're, oh, yeah, we, you know, it's just a bunch of you know maybe white people from these areas of the country et cetera. they know very specifically who their audience is and that has um you know an impact on what they're willing to say and what they're not willing to say um you know like does every single fox news uh reporter anchor believe everything that's coming out of their mouths or that they do they actually uh you know, believe in the, the, the kind of the agenda or whatever of the network, I don't know, I can say, but I do know what is selling and working for them that continues to make them one of the top cable news network in this country. And so they don't also have any kind of a financial incentive, forget an ideological incentive, they don't have a financial incentive whatsoever to actually, you know, correct course. Um, they also have quite a bit of political power and clout, as we already saw, obviously, with the Trump administration and the kind of power that the that Fox News in particular was able to yield during that time. Um, so there is no incentive for them to to actually uh, course correct. And then also, um, you know, to a point that I think, you, Owen you were making earlier, was it maybe it was, it was Jonathan and forgive me, I'm, I'm forgetting, but that there is no accountability. How do you hold someone like Tucker Carlson accountable? There are no public ways for us to hold Um, journalists accountable, which, you know, I'm not necessarily always against. Um, I mean, yes, there's advertisers, et cetera, et cetera. But again, if you're talking about one of the most highly watched, again, in 2021, Carlson was the number one watch cable uh, news show. um, You're not going to get advertisers to pull from that so quickly. And so They all know this. They're not sitting there being like, oh, no, ignore it and it'll go away, et cetera. They're making a very conscious decision, um, whether it's Carlson and his show and his executive producers, et cetera, or it's the entire network because they know what's working for them, what's lining their pockets extremely well and what's building and keeping their brand extremely strong. And they're just not they're not going to change that. And I don't think there should ever even be that expectation that they're going to or that they even should, because I don't think I don't even think they should at this point, because it's going to be. Any kind of even reckoning that they would do with their own um, complicity in this kind of violence um, uh, is, it would be, I think, disingenuous, would be completely something that's more PR than anything. And I also want to mention, you know, someone on Twitter pointed this out, and I thought it was a really great point, which was, um, you know, because a lot, this is something Greenwald sells, says, right? Like, we can't be blaming Carlson for the shooting, et cetera, et cetera, right? And I, I think yes. In general, you always have to be careful when you're making direct line, right? Where maybe there isn't a direct line, um, which is different than um, you know influencing, right? Which is influencing certain ideologies, certain rhetoric, the popularization of cer- certain ideology, the popularization of certain uh, uh, of uh, what do you call it? Certain um, yeah narratives. Um, but someone mentioned something really important, which was the fact that when we think about the Rwandan genocide, and I don't want to necessarily compare, obviously, the two, but in terms of one of the, one of the big kind of pushes for the violence, 130,000 people in Rwanda, right, during the 1994 genocide uh, of the Tutsis, um, 130,000 people picked up weapons. And there were, a, there were a myriad of reasons why and how people picked up weapons when they did. Um, but one of the, I think it's like, I can't remember, but like I remember hearing something about 10 to 15 percent of the violence is actually attributed to have been caused by like Radio Rwanda itself. Like one of the main uh, um, uh, uh, Rwandan uh, radio networks, which is um, aligned with the with the state at the time. And so like it was and the reason why the Rwandan genocide is considered kind of unique out of. Uh, many of the other genocides that have taken place in the 20th century, in particular, is because of the role that radio played. I think something like over 45% of Rwandan households at that time had a radio, and so these were broadcasts that were going into people's homes. And the kind of language, like it wasn't, you know, the 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 radio hosts weren't saying like, "Hey, get out and go kill the Tutsis." I mean, later on, yes, but like a lot of times, it was coded language. It wasn't language that was always explicit either. Um, so I don't think we can easily or comfortably at all downplay the role that media news media uh you know tv etc actually plays in also pushing people um in certain directions at all i i think that's i mean that i think is an irresponsible thing to do period and i think greenwald doing that um is extremely irresponsible and also you know a, com- a complicity on his part
0: yeah yeah i i, just I, wanna, I, I, I wanted well, to note okay yeah. well i was just going to say i agree um i think that um and uh uh, M.K. Anderson, uh, who who, uh, who came on to talk about um, right-wing writer uh, uh, Jesse Single a couple of weeks ago, uh, just just tweeted at me to uh, point to Parker. M- Malloy's uh, singling out of, of a couple lines here from Greenwald that also kind of uh, do the same thing to kind of muddy the waters as far as this responsibility where, um, it, so the quote is, a lengthy 180-page manifesto he left behind uh, was filled with a wide variety of eclectic, political views and ideologies in that manifesto. Gendron described himself as a, quote, left-wing authoritarian, close quote, and, quote, populist, close quote. Um, so not a quote from the document, but also, uh, you know, he links to the manifesto um, with with kind of presenting it in this way. And um, it's just, it's, it's at best, you could say it's dishonest. Um, you know, I, I think that, I, I also just wanted to, to react to what you were saying, Sana, about um, complicity and violence, and like you know, like whether or not like there's any actual like bad feeling, um, and you know, obviously we can never know like what's really in somebody's uh, mind or heart, but um, yeah, I, I I feel very comfortable uh, saying that uh, Carlson doesn't particularly care about this, especially is especially if it means that uh, advertisers aren't going to be fleeing. I mean, that is really like the one thing that can maybe change things a little bit uh as far as the rhetoric these guys say although it doesn't even really like all it does is it just kind of uh slows it down uh for maybe a couple of days and then it comes right back and jonathan will go right to you and then we'll take joshua's call and if anybody else wants to uh call in just get in the queue um and you know we'll we'll, we'll keep going for for a little bit we'll see we'll see if we we get a check on um so jonathan go yeah ahead.
3: just very very quickly um i uh, uh, i think it's important to uh, in terms of uh, accountability mechanisms, carriage fees. Um, so adver- advertisers have actually fled uh, Carlson's show. If you if you watch it, which I don't recommend, <laughs> uh, but if you watch it or people who do, they note that like. The, the, you know essentially like the, you know, the only advertisers that are that are on uh, you know Carlson these days are like you know like kind of brain pills and like my pillow. For, uh, for the most part, major advertisers have fled. The reason why Tucker Carlson is able to have his show and the reason why Fox News is able to have his, his prominence in, in American life that it does is because of cable carriage fees. It's because everybody who subscribes to cable part of their bill, Goes to Fox News, and that's what keeps them afloat. And get getting on the getting on the the cable companies to to cut off that lifeline. Um, you know, th- th- there are there are there are capitalist things that one can do or within the capitalist system. Um, to uh, it, it's it's not inevitable. They, they do not have to continue just sort of uh, making money forever. You know, regardless of of, of, uh, of, of how, how uh, uh, you know deeply sourced and how how popular these ideas are in, in, in fringes of American life,
0: if they're not on
3: TV and they're not getting paid to be on TV, they're not going to do it.
0: Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we're going to take uh, Joshua now. Take Joshua's call. Can you just keep your comment to like a minute, minute and a half?
4: Uh, that's fair. Um, so um, I just want to get you guys to talk a little bit. What about uh, what is the difference in the liability of an influencer? versus a journalist? And when is it or is it not considered state propaganda or efficient for the state to have an alternative narrative that riles us up? I want you to kind of try and decouple this uh, from the second amendment if you can, um, because that's definitely the rhetoric out there. Um, and uh, why you might've think it took the FBI a year to find this guy, um, if uh, they're so good at finding you know people uh, I, I mean, that seems to be uh, concerning to me. And then can you can you guys decouple our warmongering abroad from uh, our ability to have, you know, people act out in supremacist ways here at home? Um, and because, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, those those would be my questions. That I'd like to hear you guys talk on.
0: Sure. Well, I mean, I, you know, I guess the. Um... I, I, I guess that the first, uh, thing that I would say is that, you know, um, the FBI is not actually very good at doing that. Um, what they are good at doing is kind of, you know, uh, m- manipulating people who are already kind of, you know, m- maybe somewhat interested in doing something like this into, uh, you know, starting to plan and then they bust it and then, you know, then they get to say that, Hey, we did this, um as far as like catching people, uh, before they act. Um, I mean, I don't know, like, like I, you know, I don't know, like, I, um, you know, I don't work for the FBI. I, I don't know anybody who does that I know of. Um, but you know, I, I, I think that it is kind of probably like pretty difficult to catch these guys before they act on message boards. Um, just because, you know, there's just like millions and millions, uh, hundreds of millions of people on the Internet all the time, every day messaging, uh, billions if not trillions of messages uh, every day uh, going going around. You know, I, I, I don't know. Um, it does sound like they, like, you know, like law enforcement was aware of this guy for some reason, um, you know, they didn't stay up on him. Uh, I don't really think that's a conspiracy. I just think this because, uh, you know, uh, law enforcement in this country and and everywhere is just not really particularly interested uh, in putting resources into uh, staying up on that kind of stuff. They're they're more interested in doing other things. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I don't. It, as far as foreign policy goes, that 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 sounds like a much bigger. Conversation than than we're having now, but but I'll 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 open it to, to Jonathan or Sana if you guys want to comment on, on any of that stuff. But
3: I mean on on, on the question of foreign policy, uh, coming or or imperialism coming home uh, in the form of of uh, violence. Um, I would like to recommend a book that I just wrote called Gangsters of Capitalism. That came out in January. Um, that that deals with 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 precisely that question um it's it's it 's deeper than we need to than we have time to go go into here but um suffice it to say i i uh, i quote um uh the the philosopher Frantz fanon uh who who says uh, that you know what is what is fascism but uh, colonialism practice in the heart of a traditionally colonialist country and and that, that's very much what we're seeing here. And, and the, the last thing I'll say about it that's interesting in this particular case is that for all of the, the shooter's uh, discussion of, uh, you know, the Great Replacement, so-called, um, and, and our discussion of it today, um, uh, his victims were, uh, uh, you know, the descendants of people who have, have been uh, in this country for, you know, probably longer than his family has. Um, It's because uh, 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 the the way that American colonialism, the way American imperialism works um, is is often done along racial lines. And and he was he was killing others um, who he coded as being as un-American and as unworthy of safety and as as uh, uh, legitimate targets of American violence um, as uh, as as, you know, Tucker Carlson's uh, uh, statements about Iraqis. But gangsters of capitalism. (laughs) Check it out.
2: Um I just wanted to say one thing which was uh, with regards to your your question uh Joshua um which is you know I can't obviously speak to because I, I don't have the stats or anything I don't know if it's available right now I just know of one particular instance with regards to you know like for instance the FBI's involvement in any kind of like uh creation of threats with regards to white supremacist movements I mean we know the the FBI has a long history of being involved with and 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 quote unquote trying to like um or infiltrating white supremacist groups in the country so we do know that history and there's a very uh, there's a very famous case from 2017 about a, a young young guy who was supposed to be a bomber in, in like Oklahoma City. Uh, and he was actually turned out he was uh, he was schizophrenic. And his mother alleged that the FBI had actually kind of, um, you know, and he was essentially a trap entrapped. Uh, but what I can speak to is that we do have a very long and documented history of FBI entrapment and creation of threat in this country. Um, from a group of people who are vulnerable and uh, to who are vulnerable and then kind of pushed into certain kind of ideology, right? and and and, and that's no more more apparent than what's kind of happened to, unfortunately, uh, in the Muslim American community. Um, Trevor Aronson of the Intercept uh, is actually a really great, and not the only, but he's a great resource um, on this. Uh, you check out his work on on the Intercept where he has, uh, you know, looked at this for years in terms of how often the FBI has been involved in thwarting the same, <laughs> the same plots that it uh, helped create as well. Um, and I think it's always important to have a really good dose of skepticism uh, when it comes to, and not in the way that we end up like, you know, being like, Oh, it's all just, you know, it's all just uh, what's the word? False flag. Well, not I'm, not, I'm not saying we go in that direction whatsoever, but I think it's important to have a really healthy dose of skepticism based on, Historical reading of what, like of, of of the FBI itself, right, and kind of how, yes, sometimes like there there is sort of a threat creation for some reason, and or because it benefits this or that, et cetera. So I think it's important to definitely keep that in mind and keep an eye on all these things. Um, and and one way to do that is kind of look at uh what. Because usually with these things, they'll make the headline they'll make a headline, and everyone's like, "Oh my God, another terrorist, another this, et cetera, et etc." And then you move on after two weeks, right? The news cycle is usually two weeks, and then we, everyone moves on. But I think if you go back to a particular case and see what's coming out in the trial, um, you know, it's it's never surprising. It's never surprising when how many of these cases also have FBI involvement and entrapment involved as well. Um, and so, um, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's a, it's a good point that you kind of bring up in terms of having our eye always on that and, and taking into consideration that there is a very, very long and destructive history in this country of uh, the FBI in particular, but not solely, um, you know, uh, attacking um, particular communities. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to put, of course, you know, the white supremacist community uh, in a group of like marginalized, like with, when we look at like black nationalists or we look at like the Muslim American community, of course not. But rather just I think there's always a, a need for a little like a distrust, a little bit of, you know, the, the FBI, which is not exactly the most uh, uh, the FBI, DHS, et cetera. All of these which have been involved in, quote unquote, counterterrorism, counter extremism um, um, uh, policies and movements in the country as well.
0: Yeah. Honestly, like that, that, like that should be another episode. We'll, we'll, we'll do an episode on that for yeah. sure. Um, uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, Michael, so we're going to take you and I think, I think we'll wrap after that. Uh, just, uh, just keep your comment question to around a minute if you can. Thank you.
5: Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess, uh, since there's not much time, we can't really go over multiple topics. I was hoping to right. But, um, One thing I wanted to say, and it's, I I obviously don't, overall, I mainly agree with everyone here, but I have to call out uh, Jonathan Katz's optimism because quite frankly, and I think this is part of what uh, Sana was talking about, is that the the issue, the whole reason that Tucker Carlson is able to have his influence, it's not just right-wingers, it's also a lot of self-proclaimed liberals who will deliberately normalize people like Carlson. I mean, uh, someone on Twitter had pointed out that the manifesto directly cites Charles Murray's bell curve piece. So, and and we already know that there's people like, you know, Andrew Sullivan, you've got Barry Weiss, a long list of, you know, self-proclaimed liberals whose main task is basically doing the sort of shit that MLK Jr. got sick of when he talked about the quote-unquote white moderate right the people that will claim they're centrist or liberal but will always do whatever they can to normalize the far right and well obviously it's understandable why there's a focus on tucker carlson and his sycophants like
0: greenwald i think
5: it shouldn't be the entire focus
0: yeah yeah Uh, i think i think uh I think that's a great point, uh, Jonathan. Do you want to answer that as far as optimism? I don't, I don't know how, how optimistic were you feeling. I, I, that, that'd be my question.
3: Hey, sorry. Um, eh, optimism. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't want to. I don't want to come off that I'm like very optimistic about anything, um, but I also think it's, imp- it's important not to to black pill ourselves. Um, you know, if, if if we if we go into these questions with with the, the feeling that nothing can be done that these tendencies are so pervasive in American life that as, 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 as Michael said um, that, you know, many of these, these things are assumptions that exist among liberals, among some people on, on the left. I mean, they are, they are, they are very widely uh, subscribed to things that are deep, deep struck. I mean, when I'm talking about structural violence, like the whole idea is that it is structural. It is very, very hard to uproot. But if we go into this conversation with the feeling that um oh well the, but there's nothing we can do you know uh, uh there will always be um you know there will always be a Tucker Carlson you know there will always be a Father Coughlin um there there will always you know there the, the, these voices will always be uh, uh you know have have priority in in American life and this kind of violence will always happen um, then there's then there's no then then why even have this conversation like let's just I don't know just just you know sit in a room and 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 drink ourselves off the planet. Uh, my my feeling is that it's important to to think about ways in which change can be made. It is difficult. It it, it is it, it it may not work. Um, there are risks involved with with doing anything. Um, uh, but you know, uh, but but you know. I, I, at the same time, I, I just don't want to, I don't, I, I don't want in to give into, into despair. So it's,
0: it's a, uh, it's therapeutic optimism. Yeah. The, you know, I, if, I, I guess one comment I would make is that, yes, um, the far right is often normalized. Um, you know, like, like I write about this a lot. Um, it's, you know, it's one of, it's one of my focuses for sure. Um, I, I, I don't really consider Barry Weiss or Sullivan to they may refer to themselves as liberals, but I don't think that they're anything other than just kind of garden variety conservatives. But, but there isn't, you know, there is an impulse to always kind of normalize um, the right wing that has gone past. I mean, you can just look at the way that George W. Bush is treated and that is also another episode uh, I'm sure, or, or a longer uh, conversation to have. Um, Sana, do you have any any final thoughts here, um, and then and then we'll I think we'll wrap after that.
2: Um, just to kind of maybe echo some sentiments that were mentioned, that like you know I, I I do believe that for fascism to thrive, it needs liberal enablement. I do very strongly believe that, and I don't think that should ever be lost on us. Um, and we've seen that again and again in history. Uh, is that when that threat is ignored? uh and enabled by by liberals in particular is that that is when the fascists are able to to really uh come forth and uh, thrive and uh yeah create all the hell that they seek to create
3: yeah but 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 i think we can we can we can fight against that i mean it's it's i i just the, the, thing, the thing I just don't want us to do is to, is to say that because liberals because liberals subscribe to these things, thus it, it will always be this way. Like, no, I'm not, we can, I'm not we saying that. What, I,
2: what I'm no. saying is just that it thrives. And the question is, is like yes, we can absolutely fight it, but then who is we and how is it being fought? right when that that is i'm not saying that there is no possibility to fight fascism we also do have a history of fascism being successfully fought and uh and defeated um but those who usually are also pushing back against fascism especially on the left are the ones who are the most demonized um in, especially by by the specifically by the liberals as well so i'm not saying we can't fight it 100 percent agree with you we can absolutely fight it, and we should not you know be despondent and, and fall into despair 100%. Um, my point was just simply that it is it, fascism, again, is only able to thrive when, when liberals enable it. And the question then for us is, what, what can we do to fight it?
0: Yeah, I agree with all that. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, thanks to Jonathan Katz. Thanks to Sana Said. Uh, thanks to Nikki McCann, Ramirez. Thanks to all of you guys, especially uh, Joshua and Michael, uh, for, for listening and for participating. If you are listening to this on the app, oh, wait, before we do that, actually, uh, Jonathan Sano, where can people find your stuff? Uh, Jonathan, you go first. Um, where uh, where can people follow you and find your work? I'm on Twitter, Cats on Earth, which
3: is also my handle on here. Um, I have a newsletter called The Racket, which you can find at theracket.news. Uh, and uh, my book is Gangsters of Capitalism. Excellent. And
0: Sano.
2: Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, with my full name, Sena And I also have a series called Backspace, which is a media critique, which we launched earlier this year. And it's on YouTube, um, on the AJ plus channel.
0: Excellent. Uh, well, thanks a lot guys uh, for joining us. Um, and my name is Owen Higgins. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Owen Higgins, uh, same as it is on here. Um, if you are listening on the app, um, either live or on replay, Uh, please be sure to subscribe to the show and follow me. If you're listening on replay on Spotify or on Apple podcasts, uh, be sure to like and rate the show and do all the different stuff that you, you would do on there. Um, All right. Well, uh, thanks everyone. And we will see you later this week.